Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Good morning. Good to see you here. Welcome those on live stream. We greet you in Jesus' name. And I just want to tell you, I had every intention of finishing up this sermon that is now part three this morning at nine o'clock. And wouldn't you know it? I, I didn't make it. So I just want to give you a heads up. Next Sunday, uh, Pamela will be sharing the word at, at this service. So that's great. I'll be sharing a different word at the early service at 9 o'clock. But in two weeks, I'll, I'll finish up this. Well, I, I say I'm going to finish up this sermon uh, in two weeks. Follow me? Follow me? All right. So we're in 1 John chapter 5. Our intention was uh, in October to preach through this epistle. And then once we finish this, go into 2 John. Once we finish that, go into 3 John. I'm going to continue to attempt to do that. And we should be finished with 1 John probably in a couple of weeks. So 1 John chapter 5, and um, I'm going to uh, read it and make some comments as we go along today. And uh, I'm having a little trouble with my glasses that are broken. Look at this. This won't work, will it? See that? Now, how did that happen? Do I go this way? Do I go this way? No, I, I think they'll be okay if I just kind of don't get too excited today. <laughs> well, before we go there, I, someone had approached me during the offering and said a word was on their heart. I want to read it. It's Matthew 7, 7. It may be for someone here, maybe someone at home. But Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. Paraphrase, keep running after God. Keep asking him, keep knocking, keep going forward, and trust the Lord to speak to your heart. So we're, anyway, we're in 1 John chapter 5, and um, I want to get into um, the four cardinal doctrines of the assemblies of God. So that was the whole intent of this sermon three weeks ago, uh, to talk about verses 6 through 13, then get into the four cardinal doctrines of the assemblies, which are really four cardinal doctrines of the Bible, that many believers believe these cardinal doctrines, not just the Assemblies of God. So I'm going to read uh, verses 6 through 13, make a few comments as we go along, and then uh, get into the the, uh, cardinal doctrines. Father God, thank you for your word today. Lord, we just pray a rich blessing over our time in your word. Lord, may your Holy Spirit teach us what we need to know. May our hearts be open. Lord, thank you for a beautiful time of praise and worship. Uh, And now we're ready to hear the word. Uh, The worship time has kind of churned up the the hard ground of our hearts. We're we're sensitive now to you. We're kind of ready now for the seed of your word to be planted. So, Lord, let your word come forward and really touch us and be deeply implanted into our being. Lord, anoint me to preach the way you want and, and let everyone hear it the way you want and apply it. And in all things, Lord God, be glorified, be, uh, be, be glorified and honored today, and may your people be edified as a result. So we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse number 6. Again, the title of the sermon is, Can I Get a Witness? Can I Get a Witness? So here we go. Verse number 6. This is he... Who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. 
And just to comment here, the water and the blood symbolic of his obedience to be water baptized and shed his blood on Calvary. Incidentally, those are the two ordinances of the church to baptize people and to present communion to people. And verse number six, second part, the Holy Spirit bears witness to this truth. Verse number seven, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. This is the Trinity. This is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in heaven, and they all bear witness to one another. They are as one. The three are one. Verse number eight, there are three that bear witness on earth. And this is my, this is my verse for explaining what the church is. The church is an agency of God inspired and led and, and, and directed by the Holy Spirit. And you know that the Holy Spirit is working today. We feel him. We sense him. He directs us. He comforts us. He convicts us when we're wrong. He teaches us, right? He's still very active today. But it's the Holy Spirit and the water and the blood, meaning the water baptisms of people who get saved, the blood of Christ that allows it all to happen. And that's the function of the church. So you have verse 7, a witness in heaven, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Word, of course, is the Son. John 1.1 and John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But on earth... It's the Holy Spirit and the church that's functioning together. And they're all in unity working together. I love that. That's why I'm such a strong believer in the church. Not a church, but the church. We're not the only church, you know, that proclaims Christ. The church of Jesus is humongous. It's large. It's all over the world. But in that setting of the church, the Holy Spirit's moving. People are getting saved getting baptized. We remember the blood when we have communion. We preach the blood of Christ. In that setting, verse number eight, that is the living church of today. That's why it's so important to get plugged into a church that's a part of the church, if you follow my drift. Some churches are not a part of the churches, uh, the church. There's church. They're a church, but they're not a part of the big church. They're like independent. But God wants us to be a part of a huge movement that's going all over the world. So verse number 8. Then verse number 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. This is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. In other words, what we just said, verses 6, 7, and 8. This is the witness. This is what God has done in our heart. He's given the Holy Spirit, in verse 6, confirming what Jesus did. He's given the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, working together, you know, proclaiming this, this is a, a, a true message, uh, allowing it to work on earth through the Holy Spirit and through people. The church is at work. This is the witness of God. I don't know about you. I felt the witness of God during worship today. I felt his presence. I, I felt like this is where we should be right now. This is what we should be doing right now. There's a witness going on, like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yep. Holy Spirit and church people working together. Yep, flowing in the Spirit. Yeah, that's the witness of God. Verse number, verse number, uh, verse number nine. Um, okay, then verse number ten. In addition to all of that, we have an inner witness in ourselves. We have a confirmation of ourselves within ourselves that this is a movement of God. Right. Verse number ten. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. And then, you know, this morning, or or last night, rather, I was reading this verse number 10, and something hit me where it says, He who does not believe God 
has made him a liar. We talked about this last week, but I thought about that like as though the Holy Spirit is saying to us that there's a choice to be made. Anyone can believe. But if you choose not to believe, you make God a liar. You know, when he says things like you must be born again or you must you know, surrender your heart to him, you must believe in the, you know, what he did. When we say no to that, we, we choose not to believe that, we're making him a liar. But the point I want to focus on, it's a choice. It's a decision that we make. That's why verse number 13 is so, so important that this whole thing was written. This passage, you could take this passage, this epistle, the whole word of God, if you want to go down that road. But this whole thing is written so that we would know that we have eternal life and that we will continue to believe. We made a choice to believe some time ago for most of us. But what do you do when the bottom falls out? What do you do when nothing goes the way it's supposed to go in your life? What do you do then? Well, you you stay plugged in and you get into the witness of the Trinity and the witness of the church. You have this inner witness. We will continue to believe. If we stop believing, if we stop deciding to believe, we're not making ourselves righteous. We're making God a liar and ourselves unrighteous. So just verse number 10, we we must continue to believe, you know, that all, all that Jesus said, all that Jesus did. Then we got into verse number 11 last week. And uh, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. We talked about John three sixteen and 17, that Jesus said that uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world, hallelujah, but that through him the world might be saved. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five and 26, and I'll be sharing this at the memorial service this afternoon. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I'm going to share this afternoon with whoever comes. And there'll be some people outside of the church that come. You know, Gary, uh, by the way, was a music instructor up in Newburyport. And uh, he worked for a, a, an organization and had a wonderful uh, boss. He'll be coming today. Uh, Gary had several students, and hopefully, hopefully they'll, they'll be coming today. But Gary was Jewish. He was brought, born Jewish, born in a Jewish family, Jewish home. But somewhere along the line, he was convicted by the Holy Spirit, and he began to read the Scriptures and felt a, we're talking about a witness, he felt a witness in his heart that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that little part, that rhetorical question, do you believe this? That question is like, it's like hounding people. Do you believe this? And after all these years, when Jesus said it, all these years have gone by, and the question remains, do you believe this? Do I believe this? Well, yes, I believe this. But these things are written that we will continue to believe. As I said a few weeks ago, the greatest challenge that we have in life is to continue to believe in God as we go through things, and things don't happen the way we think they should happen. And we get disappointed, or we get hurt, or we get hurt emotionally or physically or whatever. We, and things, life doesn't turn out the way we want. And we're saying, where is God? Where is our faith then? But these things are written that will continue to believe in the Son of God. Gary continued to believe until the very end, which was really the very beginning for him. And then we talked about last week really quickly 
Ecclesiastes 3.11, which says, God has set eternity in the human heart. Remember we talked about that? We talked about how there's something within everybody. Even pagan people create gods because there's something inside that wants more. More than what we have on earth. And so people through every generation, every culture, have tried to find a way to something or someone. And we talked about how when God created Adam, he breathed life into Adam's nostrils. He became a living creature, a living being. And in that moment, there's a capacity uh, built into a human being, a capacity for God. Romans 12, 3, everyone has been given a measure of faith, the potential to activate your faith. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Although that scripture needs a little explanation because in the context of Romans 10, 17, what Paul was saying was the Jews heard the word of God about the Messiah coming uh, coming to the Jew and the Gentile, whole big thing about that, but they refused to believe it. But faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The question is, are you hearing it or are you just like letting, letting it like listen? Are you lis- listening to it? Are you just, is it just somewhere in space and not going into your heart? And I can testify to that. Many of you know my story. I, I went to college out of high school it was a church-affiliated college, but I, I was nowhere close to God at the moment. But I went there, and uh, part of the curriculum was the freshmen had to take a Bible class. And my assignment was to read the first five books of the Bible. And I remember reading it. I, you know, I was going to try to do my best. I, I read it. I, it was the driest thing I ever read in my life. I remember I was doing my laundry trying to read. I said, oh, Lord, I said, God, I don't know. But I did it, but I didn't get anything out of it. Five years later, when I accepted Christ and I was born again, I read the same thing. I said, oh, wow, that's pretty good. Same word. It was me that was different. You know, so when you say, we say you have to hear the word of God. You can't just, you know, listen to it. You have to internalize it. Although I do think that, nothing at all on a tangent, but I think that that practice of just reading the word, even though I didn't get it, I think God honored it later in my life that at least I made the effort, even though it wasn't the greatest effort. But there's something about reading the Word. I always would encourage people to read the Word. So, uh, yeah, so the Word activates faith, and everyone has the potential. And so verse, verse 12 goes on to say, he who has the Son has the, has the life. So if you have the Son, if you have Jesus, you have the life. Jesus said if you, you have the Son, you have an abundant life. The thief has come to steal and kill and rob. But I've come, he said, to give you life and give it abundantly. I've I've come to give you life. So John is reiterating this in this passage. So verse 13, these things I've written to you who believe. Now that's an interesting thing that he's writing to those who believe. So believing is really important. But but he realizes that even though we may believe, because even we know from James, even demons believe and tremble at the name of the Lord, right? But so you believe, but he's saying, I want you to want you to get this, and I'm writing this so that you know that you have eternal life. 
that you, you, you believe in Jesus, well, good, but I want you to go deeper than that. I want you to realize when you believe in Jesus, when you die, you go to heaven. That's what he's saying. You have eternal life. In spite of the life you live on earth, no matter what happens, when you die, you go to glory to be with the Lord. So I'm, I'm writing to those who believe that you'll know. So that, that tells me there are some that do believe in Jesus, but they don't believe they have eternal life. They think that Jesus is just for the moment. And maybe for some of us, maybe he is for the moment right now, but in reality, he's for more than the moment. He's for eternity. And if he's for eternity, he's for my tomorrow. He's for my next week. He's for my next month. He's for my next year. He's for my next paycheck. He's for my next thing that I do in life. He's there for me as I progress through. So I'm writing to those that believe that you will know that you have eternal life. So you know what? That brings up a whole other thing. The scripture makes it clear. There's no fear with God. Now, I've been around people that have been very sick and have died. And there's a process in this. You know, people that have been sick for a while. And they go through a process of acceptance. And it's really, for a Christian, it's a beautiful thing to see. Because they'll go through whatever emotional, mental thing. And when they finally get to the point where I I, I accept the fact, if God doesn't heal, heal me, I'm going to glory. And you know what? There's a wonderful peace that floods that person's soul. Why? Because they know they have eternal life. And the second part of that is, I'm writing so that you'll continue to believe in the Son of God. So that's that's the challenge, I think, for many of us to continue to believe. I mean, if we could turn back the clock 44 years, when Pam and I first got saved, I would have never thought that my life script would be what it is. But through the grace of God and through the Word of God, I've been able to continue to believe in the Son of God through the mountains and the valleys and the plateaus, the high times, the dry times, the good and the bad. Life is full of all of that. But he's writing so that we'll continue to believe in the Son of God, regardless of what comes our way. So to me, this this passage, now that I've gotten into it, is a profound passage of Scripture. It's theology. There's a lot of theology in verses 6 through 13. The work of Christ on the cross, his obedience through water baptism and going to the cross, the Trinity, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit through the church, the ordinances of the church of water baptism and communion, right? The the confirmation of the Holy Spirit confirming what Jesus did. And, And the Holy Spirit always points people to Jesus even now. The confirmation of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit the, the inner witness in our own hearts that, yeah, this is true, this is right. And the whole gospel message is for now, but it's for more than now. It's for eternity. I think of Gary Feldman. I do. I, you know, we were fairly close, I told you, because we were on the worship team. We had a lot of conversations. And, man, he's with God now. He's with the Lord. I think he's, I think he's on the worship team up there. That would make sense to me, you, you know. But, yeah, I think about that, you know, and uh, how quickly that happened, too. But he believed till the end. So I want to I uh, uh, refresh your memory as to what, what we're talking about. Can I get a witness 
according to Merriam-Webster. How many of you know Merriam? Oh, she's a wonderful book. <laughs> Witnesses, uh, the, the attestation of a fact or an event, like you know that you know that you know. Uh, it's, uh, it's one who has personal knowledge of something. Someone that has a testimony. So I, I'm saying, can I get a witness? Do you know that you know that Jesus is real in your life? Can you explain that to somebody? If you had to go to trial, could you give a defense? I'm a Christian because. That's why your testimony is so important. I would encourage you to talk about being a witness. Can I get a witness? Can you be a witness for the Lord? Listen, a lot of people won't take the time to listen to what we have to say from the word of God. But they will watch our lifestyle. And they'll watch the way we process life and hardship or whatever. And they'll see Christ through our testimony and through our witness. So can I get a witness? Can I get someone to, to say and do, I believe in God. I once was this way, now I'm this way. I'm not perfect, but I'm on my way. So can I get a witness? Can, can, I, can someone live in such a way that just by your lifestyle, what you don't do, and what you don't say would, would convict someone of sin in their lives and convict them of their need of a Savior. Can I get a witness? So here, the, there's four cardinal doctrines. I want to talk about the first one, and I want to talk about the second one, and that's all we're going to have time for today because that's what I did at the early service. The first one is this. Can't read my own writing right there. Anyway, the first one is this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Can I get a witness? No, no, no. no. Think about it. When we say that, Jesus is Savior, he's the only way. Now, now can you let that sink in? He's the only way of salvation. He's the only way for eternal life. Do you believe that? Can you say that? You know, some years ago, there was a very prominent minister in America that was on a uh, talk show. And the question was asked this guy, this minister, uh, is Jesus Christ the only way? And in that atmosphere of disbelief and mockery, he, he buckled and didn't give the, the answer. He, he, he turned away. He kind of he like deflected it. So it's one thing to say it here. It's another thing to say it out there. Because when we say Jesus is the only way out there, we are labeled as narrow-minded. And you know what? It's absolutely true. We are narrow-minded. Jesus said, go on the narrow road. <laughs> I mean, you, you have to go with the flow. The, the wide road leads to destruction. The narrow road leads to eternal life. Of course we're narrow-minded. What are you going to do? Accept everything? No, Jesus said, there's one way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but through me. That's a heavy statement. That's a very heavy statement. Yes, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Yes, he is full of compassion. Yes, he is a great and profound teacher. He's a healer, but he's more than that. He's all that, and he's more than that. Verse number 6, there's a witness of the Holy Spirit in Jesus, that he is who he said he was. There's a witness in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Look at verse number 20 in chapter 5 in your Bible. 
Just go over there real quickly. Verse number 20 says this. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So it's one thing to say Jesus is all that. But when you say that Jesus is God in the flesh, man, the road got narrower. I know people in my life, we got into arguments, not arguments, but disagreements. Jesus is only the son of God. Yeah, but he's God. No, no. Yeah, no, no. Yes, he is God in the flesh. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He sits on the throne of his father, David, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Jesus is not just a man that he could save us. He came as a man so that we could identify with him. He came as a man to give his life away for our salvation. I heard a great sermon this morning, as a matter of fact, early this morning. I heard a man preaching about about the the work of Christ on the cross, how, how he was not a martyr. He willingly gave his life. He could have called upon a legion of angels to make the whole thing stop. He wasn't arrested and forced to go into that thing. He gave his life. A lot lot different than a martyr who's who's taken away and beyond their own will is put to death. And and that's that's a a great sacrifice in and of itself. But but Jesus' sacrifice was greater than that because he didn't have to do it. He could have stopped it. He gave his life away. And as he did, he fulfilled prophecies. The virgin birth comes into play. His sinless life comes into play. Uh, His death, resurrection, ascension, promise to come again, all come into play. That Jesus is the only way of salvation. The only way. Jesus said, John 3, 16. You know, we forget, Jesus said this. God so loved the world that he gave me, is what he's saying. He gave me. He gave the Son of God. You know, that that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. There's no other way. Peter said in Acts 4.12, There's no other name under heaven given by which uh, among men by which we must be saved. Only the name of Jesus. John said in 1 John 1, 2, and 3, which we looked at a few weeks ago, That which we have seen and bear witness and declare to you, that eternal life was with the Father and was manifested to us. John said in chapter John 1, 14, 15, we've seen him. We beheld his glory. John knew exactly what he was talking about. This is the one who came. This is the eternal life that came to give us eternal life. Paul said in Romans 6, 33, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, We're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, not by silver and gold, not by the tradition of our fathers. Can I get a witness right here that Jesus Christ is the only way to have eternal life? He's the only way to be saved. We're not saved by our accomplishments. And we must have accomplishments. Well, we're not saved by our accomplishments. We're not saved by our good works, by our money, our fame, or our reputation. All those things are important. We're not saved by our homes or by how many boats we have or how many vacations we take in a year. We're not saved by our education or, or degree. All those are important, but we're saved by Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, willing sacrifice on Calvary. 
So we're saved when we come to a place. Those of you at home, listen to this. Somebody needs to hear this. I feel it in my heart. When we come to a place that, that I realize, we realize I can't do this anymore. Now that might sound like a drastic salvation, but I don't know of any other salvation there is. If it's not drastic, I don't know that it's a real salvation. We've got to come to a place where we're at the end of ourselves. And yeah, maybe someone's been telling us for years, and, but finally the Holy Spirit has our heart, and we're not going to get right until we surrender to his lordship. Lord, fix my heart, fix my mind, fix my spirit. Lord, I'm, I'm willing to give it all up for you. I'm willing, willing to take up my cross and follow you. We're only saved when we're broken and real before God that says, Lord God, I'm, I'm, do this. And most of us know everything else we tried didn't work. And I've known this for rich people and poor people. You know, I've known this for, for people that never touch drugs or that, that are drug addicts or whatever. It's all the same thing. We have to come to a place where, where we realize, ah, I have nothing to give. I'm basically empty inside. I need help. Now, most of us at this point, like I would, I would say, you know what? A lot of people believe in Muhammad, But Muhammad was never a savior. Muhammad was a supposed prophet, but he's not even a true prophet. But you know what? 1.9 billion people believe that he's somebody that could take them to peace with Allah. It's all a lie. That's all a lie. Now, I realize if I, if I could say that here, it's going on live stream, okay, we have a free country. But in some places, you can't say that. You could be killed for saying that, thrown in jail. And the whole Islam uh, religion, world religion, the second uh, fastest growing religion in the world, Christianity is the first. They say by 2050, it's going to be 50-50. First and second, Christianity and, and Islam. So, so many people believe that's the way. That's not the way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. But see, but in some places, I mean, I don't want to sound overly dramatic, but you, you could get your throat cut for that. You could die for that. And we take it, oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, he's my savior, he's my friend, he's my savior. What? He's more than that. He's everything. The Hindus have 33 gods, I think even more than that. Not one of those gods will bring salvation. 1.1 billion people believe that. Buddhism, uh, 500 million people believe in the Buddha. It's not the gods of Shintoism, Sikhism, or Daoism. It's not a modern-day prophet, and there's thousands of them today. It's not a false Christ somewhere. It's not, it's not a religious cult leader. It's not an authority figure or a president or a world leader. It's not humanism or secularism or self-promotion. It's Jesus the Christ. He's the only one. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's the light of the world. He's the bread of life. He's the good shepherd. He's the door to eternal life. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, one of my favorite scriptures, the son of man has come to seek and to save those that are lost. Thus we go out and we promote Christ in the public place. We support these missionaries because everybody's lost without Jesus. 
He's the only way to be found. He's the only way to be reconciled to Almighty God. I'm, I'm really I'm looking forward to the service this afternoon. And I, I pray there'll be a lot of people that are not Christians here. Because I want to tell them the message that Gary believed in. Jesus is the only way. What a great example in our brother Gary. He knew all about Judaism. But he came to a place, Jesus is the only way. Peter said, and I said it before, Acts 4.12, there's no other name under heaven by which man would be saved. Only the name of Jesus. So can I get a witness that Jesus is the only way? Well, let me go a little bit deeper in this. For me and Pamela, it was 1977. We came to a place in our lives where we, we knew we needed more. We accepted Christ into our heart. We were born again. Sick and tired of being sick and tired. We were born again, and, and, and everything was good. I read in the scripture, 2 Timothy 1.9, it says this, that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling. I knew I was saved at that point. Right? I knew I was saved in and, and, and a direction to live a holy life before God and before man. And that was miraculous in and of itself. For, it is for any of us, really, to live a holy life after what we lived before. But God has called us to live a holy life. But he saved us and called us to live a holy life. So for a couple of years, I was good on that one, you know. Yeah, I'm saved. I was going to church. You know, I was learning stuff. Somewhere along the line, I, I read this scripture and was taught about it. But 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You ever notice that that's absolutely true? You talk about the cross, they think, well, it's like mockery. But, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. I read that part, being saved. I thought I was saved already. No, I, I'm being saved. It's a daily walk. It's daily communion. It's daily bread. It's a daily salvation. So not only does he save us when we got saved, but he continues to save us today. Can I, can I, can I put an exclamation point there? Today we're getting saved. Because yesterday's works are done. It's over. We need Christ today. You know, we need the Lord today. We're saved and we're being saved. And that, that was good for a couple of years and everything was fine. And then somewhere along the line, somebody showed me this scripture, Romans 5, 9 and 10. It says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, now we shall be saved by his life. And then I started to realize this scripture has to do with the tribulation time. When you read about the wrath of God coming and the judgment. How many, like when I first got saved, I read all these books about the judgment of God and how terrible it's going to be and all this stuff. But then I read this, that the, 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 the wrath of God will be saved from the wrath of God. I, I, that bore witness in my heart. So this is a great foundation for the whole doctrine of the rapture being taken out of here before the tribulation time comes in those seven years. We shall be saved from the wrath of God. And a lot of times you read about the wrath of God. It's in those seven years period, the judgment of God upon the nations. And so we, we are 
we are saved and we're being saved and we shall be saved. And can I get a witness for that? You see, that's what I'm saying. Can, can somebody say in your circle, oh, yeah, I accepted the Lord some years ago, but, but right now God's doing something in my life. Right now. I'm still being saved today. It's a fresh walk with God. Every day is fresh. And, and all that talk about end times and this and that, yeah, I believe in all that. But I also believe like Noah went into the ark, the church is going to be taken out of here when the judgment comes. I believe that. And so I'll preach that. I'll, I'll preach what Paul preached in 1 Thessalonians 4. So that's number one. Jesus, Jesus is Savior. He's the only Savior. And here's number two. The second core value I want to talk about. I'm just going to take a few minutes here. But when I first came to the Lord, we started going to church, and everyone kind of alluded to that there was more from God that we could experience. And I was, you know, I was curious, and I wanted to know about that. And um, I started reading in the book of Acts when the people were saved. Obviously, they were saved, but Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 19, after they were saved, something else happened to them to give them power, to give them an anointing to live. And in that culture, a lot of those believers were persecuted, killed. And, uh, and so there was an anointing to be, just going back to like 1 John five thirteen, to keep on believing, you know, as we go along. But the Holy Spirit helps in that process. So this is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're saved by the Holy Spirit. We're born again by a work of the Holy Spirit. But, but Jesus promised there was another thing that happens after that. It's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. So let me, let me explain this. In Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but someone's coming after me that's greater than I am. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And we know that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Repent, get ready, repent, get ready. But the baptism of Jesus, in Jesus' name, is a baptism of salvation. And the baptism of fire is a baptism of, of empowerment to be a witness for the Lord in these last times. So Jesus said, after he was crucified and resurrected, ready to return to the Father, he gave the great commission, go out into all the world and preach remission of sins in my name. You know, repentance, remission of sins in my name. But don't go just yet. Wait until you are endued with power from on high. So Acts chapter 1 comes. Jesus is going up into heaven. Right before he goes, he says, John truly did baptize uh, with water. But, um, but I, you will be baptized not many days from now with the Holy Spirit. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost parts of the world. And so everyone's there. They said, okay. Then Jesus went up. And everyone said, okay, well, let's wait for this promise. And they waited one day. They waited two days, three. And they're all in the upper room praying, waiting on God, fellowshipping, praying, Five days, eight days, nine days. On the tenth day. We know it was the tenth day. Because after 40 days, Jesus ascended from the Passover. And on the day of Pentecost, which was ten days after the 40 days, is when the Holy Spirit fell. As they were in the upper room, Acts chapter 2, all praying together, waiting on the Lord. 
there came a sound of a rushing mighty wind. And it looked like cloven tongues on top of their head. And they all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And of all people, our dear friend Peter stands up and starts preaching to everybody. Just a month before, he was ready to throw it in the towel. He did. Now he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. 3,000 souls got saved and water baptized, and the church was birthed on that day. And so the church is birthed in Pentecost. Peter said right after that, he said, see this, what you see in here, this, this promise is for you and your children and for all who will believe down the line. So this promise is still for today. It's absolutely for today. You don't hear about it so much, but we should be talking about it. I always think of it this way. How do we do what we do without this empowerment of the Holy Spirit? I I believe wholeheartedly in the second work of grace. So you may say, well, how do you get it? Well, Pamela, you heard my story. We were saved for five years or so. We never spoke in tongues. We never got into any of that, but we were around. We were in a church that did. And, you know, we were just waiting on the Lord. When it was time, it would be time, and we would receive. And so what happened was we relocated from North Carolina back home to New York. And in that setting in New York, the Lord knew we needed another, another anointing to live our Christian life in that environment. It was one thing to live a Christian life 600 miles away where no one knew who we were, especially me. But it's another thing to live that life when the people next door knew me when I was this high. And they knew all the gory details of my life. We need, I needed the Holy Spirit at that point. And then we were filled. We, you know, we were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So you may say, how do you get it? Well, you have to ask Jesus for it. He's the baptizer. I'm not. No pastor can do it. I wish I could do it. I'd give everyone the Holy Spirit. But that's not my calling. My calling is to pray with you to receive. Have someone lay hands on you. Have someone anoint you with oil. But live a holy life. Live a consecrated life. Let the Lord see that you're serious about wanting more of him. Keep waiting upon the Lord. But while you're waiting, keep doing things in the kingdom of God. I'll close with this, uh, this analogy. It's Acts chapter 19. You could read it later. But Paul was ministering in Ephesus for a couple of years. He went away and he came back. And... He said to the believers there, he said, "Uh, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, no, we haven't heard about this. We haven't heard about this Holy Spirit. He said, well, what were you baptized into? Oh, we were baptized into John's baptism. Paul says, oh, that's good. John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. But now you receive Christ, you have to be baptized in Jesus' name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So they were rebaptized in the name of Jesus. Because John's baptism is repentance, Jesus' baptism is salvation. But in the back of Paul's mind, he knew it himself that there's more after salvation. It's the fire part. After they were baptized in water to express their faith in Jesus as their Savior, he laid hands on them, prayed over them, and guess what happened? They began to speak in other tongues and prophesy. And thus the church in Ephesus was really birthed with the Holy Ghost anointing, just like it was in Samaria. Same situation. They believed, but they weren't filled yet. So the the, the moral of the story is there's more, church. There's more. 
And we have to be aware of it. We have to pray for it. We have to live for it. Let's get God's attention by living a holy, consecrated life so that he would see, these people are serious about me. I want to bless them. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. Otherwise, he'll probably wait and wait and wait. But it's up to us to be in that right position. We can't make it happen, but we can be in the right position to receive that blessing from God. You know, as a matter of fact, when Pamela and I got saved, I never knew about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. All I know is I'm thankful that through a series of friends that we had, we were directed to a little Assembly of God church that was a Pentecostal church. And from the get-go of our Christian walk, we learned about Pentecost. The Lord knew I sure needed it. In my lifestyle, my thinking, all that I was, I was did, I needed, I needed something greater in my life to keep me on the narrow road and to keep me empowered to do great things for the kingdom of God. And this gift is available for everybody here. So these are two cardinal doctrines that we preach. Jesus is Savior, and Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit today. You may hear reports from missionaries in other parts of the world. They come back and tell us, man, their whole community was baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is moving. And then people say, well, why doesn't that happen here? Well, it does happen here. But what happens here is that, for instance, if somebody, and we're all guilty. We get sick, we go to a doctor, we buy drugs. In other countries, they get sick, they pray to God until something happens. There's a whole different a whole different approach to life of dependency on God. And God sees that hunger and he blesses them. So why don't we, uh, let's see, verse number 13, James, we we can put that up there. We're going to read this verse and then we're going to pray out of here for today. 1 John 5, 13. Can we say it together? Ready? One, two, three. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Let's stand together. Let's say it again. 1 John 5, 13. Ready? 1, 2, 3. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Amen. Every head bowed for just a moment. Earlier we had a a little altar call, and I asked if anyone was here that wanted to receive Christ to raise their hand, and and thank you for doing that. And I'm going to ask it again. And I'm going to ask you at this point to step out of your seat and just come up to the altar as a profession of your faith before God. So does anyone want to receive Jesus? Just make your way up to this altar right now. If you raise your hand, this may be a recommitment for you, but you know what? The Lord frequently asked for a public demonstration of your faith. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, my sister. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And my second thing, along with the sermon, is does anyone, is anyone seek, does anyone want to seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit? With that initial evidence of speaking in other tongues, but that's just the initial evidence. So 
I want to ask you, if you want prayer for that, I'm not going to lay hands on everybody, but I'm just, I want to pray for you. But if you want that, make your way up to the altar. I'm going to start praying right now. If anyone wants the Holy Spirit baptism, make your way to the altar. Okay, I'm going to start praying right now. Father, thank you for um, CC. Thank you for Charles. Thank you, Lord, that they've come to a place in their life where they're not ashamed of the gospel. They recognize the power of the gospel. Thank you that they're here today and that they stepped out of their seat to walk up to this altar. Lord, not for my sake. This is for their sake to tell you that they mean business. And so, Lord, they mean business. So we pray with them today. Lord, we pray a prayer that we believe in you. Lord, we believe in what you did on the cross. We confess our sins before you, but there's many. We, we, we repent. We surrender to your lordship. And we ask you, Lord, come into our lives. Lord, come in, deep in. As we said earlier, clean out the closet, oh God. Let there be nothing in the way of, of your presence in, in our lives today. But Lord, with these two, we, we all pray in agreement. Lord God, we confess our sin before you. We believe in Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his promise to come back. We receive him as our personal Lord and Savior today. And for that, we say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to, to the Lord. Glory to the Lord. And Father, we also want to pray. And I'll pray, Lord, for everyone in this room that has not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And those of us that were, that we would be rebaptized in your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, like in the book of Acts. They were filled in Acts 2. They were refilled in Acts 4. So we just pray, Lord, for a refilling of your spirit, oh God. We pray, Lord, that in these days, the days of the pandemic, the days of the, of the political unrest, the days of, of world news that's just so disturbing with uh, Russia and Ukraine and China and everything else, Lord, it's so volatile. We need a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would fill us you would fill us, oh God, as we wait upon you, Lord, fill us with your presence. Lord, in addition to the salvation, may your Holy Spirit not come, you're already in us. May your Holy Spirit come upon us that we would be empowered to be a witness for you in these crazy times in which we live. Lord, there are opposition forces all over, all over us. Whether it's spiritual or physical, there are people that will mock us, belittle us, make fun of us, call us names and call us ignorant. And there are spiritual forces that want nothing better than to rip our lives apart and destroy what you've done in our lives. So, Lord, we pray you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would not only withstand the wiles of the devil, but we would be able to overpower and continue to move forward as we walk with you. So, Lord, thank you for this. And, Lord, may this phrase burn in our heart this week. Can I get a witness? Lord, I feel like you're saying it. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Can somebody testify at work, at home, at school, or wherever? Can someone say something on my behalf? And can someone live a life that's pleasing to me in the public square? So, Lord, we thank you for this, but we pray that we would be a witness. We pray, Lord, that we would be a good witness for you. And, Lord, may it begin at home. Let us be a good witness to our family, to our kids and grandkids, to our parents, our brothers and sisters. 
Let our light shine, O God, that others would want what we have. So we thank you for this, Lord, and we lay it all down and pray for your touch to continue to be upon us. Thank you, Lord. These things have been written to those that believe that we would know that we have eternal life and that we would continue to believe in the Son of God. Lord, let us walk out of here with our faith built up and stronger than it was when we got here. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, somebody come up here and greet these guys, these two. God bless you. Good.